Welcome to Creating Synergy, where we explore what it takes to transform. We are powered by Synergy IQ. Our mission is to help leaders create world-class businesses where people are safe, valued, inspired, and fulfilled. We can only do this with our amazing community. So thank you for listening. Hello, Synergizers, and welcome to a very special episode of the Creating Synergy podcast. It's International Women's Day, and to celebrate, I and other members of the Synergy IQ team who identify as women have taken over the podcast from our usual host, Daniel Franco. As an advocate for diversity, inclusion, and gender rights, Daniel has encouraged and welcomed this takeover, so no need to worry. My name is Michelle Holland, and I'm the Executive Director at Synergy IQ. You may have heard me as a guest on this podcast from time to time, talking about change and leadership and culture. And today I had the great pleasure of speaking to amazing women creating great things in the world. I'm very proud to call these strong, successful women my colleagues and friends at Synergy IQ. We are passionate about inclusion and diversity at Synergy IQ, and we've hit our gender targets out of the park with a 80% female strong workforce. I know you'll enjoy listening to this podcast and listening to the different voices talk to us about what International Women's Day, and particularly breaking the bias, means for them. I'm a feminist, and I'm proud to call myself a feminist. Even when at times being known as a feminist has been seen rather negatively in the public realm. Now, if there's a better word that's more inclusive, then please let me know because I will totally use that instead. As someone who was born overseas and immigrated to Australia as a young child, I was bullied for the first seven years of my life here in Australia. Uh, That was until I discovered a way to blend in with, you know, the regular Australians. So I modified my accent, I pretended to like Aussie rules football, and to be honest, I just stayed quiet as much as I could. This is called fitting in. This is the complete opposite of inclusion and what we want for people. But you know what? I was actually really lucky because I could blend in. All I needed to do was shut my mouth because it was really my accent and, of course, my gender that made me stand out and be different from the people who built the system in which I was trying to navigate. I know this challenging start to my life had a significant impact on me, Um, much of which my therapist and I are still working through today, but it also made me a fiery advocate for inclusion and diversity. And for that, I'm really grateful. My personal dream is to live in a world where everyone is accepted safe and valued for who they uniquely are. I want to live in a world where we don't have to change who we are to be accepted and cherished, where, you know, we don't have to shave off parts of ourselves to fit into a box that's been created by people who don't look or sound like us or who haven't had the experience of life like we have. I believe that inclusion and belonging, they are the doorways to diversity and equity at work. And we've still got a lot of work to do. One day of celebrating people who identify as women and their contribution to the world and workplace, it's not enough. It kind of feels a little bit like Valentine's Day to me. We shouldn't really only be loving, romantic and thoughtful to our partners once a year. And we shouldn't only be celebrating the contribution of women to the world and the workplace just once a year. If we truly care about inclusion, if we truly care about making women's experience in the world better, then we must do it every single day. Interestingly, I often hear people say that women in Australia already have equality. So what are we complaining about? We're able to have a career, a family, be CEOs, we can run for politics. Jeez, we even, like once... A long time ago, had a female prime minister. So what have we got to complain about? Well, to me, it goes back to that quote by Emma Lazarus. Until we are all free, we are none of us free. Until people of colour, people who are differently abled, First Nations people, trans people, LGBTQI plus people, 
and many others are accepted completely, then we still have a lot of work to do. So welcome to our International Women's Day podcast. I look forward to hearing your comments about the conversation we have today. We have a diversity of people on the call from various backgrounds and opinions. I know that you'll enjoy listening to their experiences and thoughts about the future. So please help me welcome some of my favorite people in the world, Fiona McAllister, Kylie Morton, Jane Russo, Sophie Braytag, Roxy Wardle, Jane Miller, Paula Jacques, Sky Brown, and our own podcast manager, Gabriella Vesconcelos, to the show. Breaking the bias. This is the, uh, I guess, the hashtag that they're using for International Women's Day because we're celebrating International Women's Day today and I'm getting the, the pleasure of speaking to all of the amazing women that work for Synergy IQ and with Synergy IQ. So when you hear breaking the bias, what does that mean for you? I think it, it's, it's such an interesting topic because it will mean something different, I think, to every person. And I think that's why these discussions are fantastic because it opens up the dialogue around um, people being uh, reflective on who they are, but also how they present into the world and also what they will and won't accept from other people. So for me, breaking the bias is around uh, authenticity. So that's a huge one for me. So, I mean, as you know, I'm, you know, I'm colourful, I'm loud, I'm larger than life. Um, and often it can be quite difficult to be authentic within a workplace, especially in a, a more traditional, what might be seen as a more traditional uh, corporate workplace. And so for me, breaking the bias is around letting people be who they are, be a whole human, be the person that they are at home and allow that person to come into the workplace and be that person as well without judgment. Uh, so that's a really, yeah, that's a really important thing for me around um, just accepting people for who they are and not judging them on gender or how they present. Big global organisations, but also male-dominated organisations as well. So, you know, defence, pharmaceuticals, FMCG. Um, I worked for a, a cosmetics company at one point in my career, which actually was female-dominated, but not at the senior levels, you know. And so all of the organisations that I've worked for, um, there's always been that sort of how to navigate, you know, that air quote man's world, right? Um, <clears throat> I kind of struggle... I have this internal struggle with this, you know, concept of break the bias and, and equal opportunity um, because I do, I have a controversial opinion. I don't, I, th I think I didn't tell you this, Michelle, before you invited me on this podcast. I probably should have. <laughs> okay. I think I have a controversial opinion in that I don't know that, you know, we, sh we should or could aim for gender equality in all areas. There are are things that some men are generally better at and there are things that swim, some women are generally better at and life is a bell curve right so there's always going to be you know the the outliers on all of those things so i think i think the problem and for me the breaking the bias comes not from trying to make everything equal but from having an equal amount of respect for the genders you know, regardless regardless of physicality, but there is there should be more respect for the things that are generally strengths in more masculine people and generally strengths in more feminine people. And and I think that if we had greater respect for those things, the world would be a better place. For a nice little cliche to drop in there, um, but yeah, I've always I've always navigated those male. Um, environments those male dominated environments fiercely protecting my femininity you know not feeling like I have to be any different and and I've had some really wonderful experiences and some really wonderful male advocates and some wonderful male managers and some terrible female managers and some terrible female advocates and and you know the crossover of those things so yeah 
Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I um, just reflecting on what you were saying there, I worked in an organisation which was 85% female oriented as far as the organisation is concerned. And it was a hard organisation to work in. And I think because of that, you know, and when you look at the, the research around gender equality, it's very much if there is an equal balance of women, we'll just use the two genders for now, women and men in the, you know, there's a, an equal balance across that feminine and masculine. I think that's a better way of actually saying it. Then the organization gets better outcomes. So if it's skewed to the feminine, then it's a problem. If it's skewed to the masculine, it's a problem. So I like that thinking around, you know, that breaking the bias isn't just about bringing women you know, somewhere, it's actually making sure that we all respect each other and, and get the best out of each other. I guess it's being aware of our bias um, and knowing when to call them out, knowing when to check in with them um, and equally those around us as, as well because we often confuse bias with opinion. This is my opinion on something. And often um, that gets tripped up with, well, actually, do you realise that that opinion has a bias? And, and understanding that. So, I yeah, I agree. I find it an interesting concept because um, it is something that we deal with in our everyday life. When I was walking my eight-year-old into her primary school, um, was helping her connect with the fact that there is a day that, you know, recognises women on an international scale and why that exists. And you know, beautifully through the lens of a child, she was thinking, does that mean all the girls get ice blocks, but none of the boys do? <laughs> um, you know, that we get stuff that the boys then don't get because everything's a competition. Um, but, it, you know, so it, it was what it meant for me was, I don't know whether it's breaking the bias around not having these conversations with your kids, but, you know, just recognising that it's really important for us to have these conversations about what the history has been for women, not only in uh, their working environments and the challenges that have been presented over the years and the struggles that have come from that and continue, uh, but also in our cultures you know, where we're brought up to believe that, you know, you are one thing. And in the past, that's been the caretaker, the cook, the the mother, the, you know, that, that real sense of, and that's what, you know, and, and that's what I, I grew up believing as well um, as part of my family. And, and I really love that I've had the opportunity and experiences that have evolved from that belief that I've had in my earlier life to now having a belief in my current life to say, hey, there's, we, we need to be accelerating, you know, women, um, regardless of what it is that they want to do and how they want to show up in life. We're just here to really connect them with how beautiful and wonderful they can be uh, in the way that they want to be. And it doesn't necessarily just mean in business. Uh, that's, that's a really important thing for me. It is about whole of life. Um, so having that conversation with Annika this morning was really helpful to me in, hel in helping her understand how she can break the bias. But she's in a fortunate position where she's in a household of two parents that are very non-traditional and, uh, you know, believe that, you know, whatever she wants to do, she can do in a safe, purposeful way. Breaking the bias is everybody is valued and treated equally. It doesn't matter like whether you are male or female or, or what your gender orientation is because I mean, how many different genders do we actually have? I think there's around 70-odd uh, when you kind of look into the research these days. Uh, it doesn't matter what your ethnic background is or what your age is. For me, it comes down to everyone is valued and treated equally. Um, and I think we've come a long way in the workforce, um, particularly in the, in the last few years, but I also think um, we've still got a long way to go. I feel like I love this um, uh, theme, actually, breaking the bias. And, and to me, it's much more than just gender. So it, it, it brings so much to the conversation. Um, gender is like an incredibly important um, 
part of it. But I, I just guess it takes me to all type of stereotyping, all type of, um, it just reminds me of stopping bullying and all types of harassment. And it just brings all of it to the conversation when I think about it. So um, I love it because it's, it's really broad and, and it can keep the conversation going. To be honest, Michelle, I feel uh, kind of angry and uh, it's quite shocking for me that we still having those kind of conversations about, like, you know, breaking the bias. Come on, 2022. And this should be like business as usual. That's the feeling that I have. Like, you know, while we're still talking about this kind of issue, shouldn't I feel like we should, should be all, you know, sorted by now. But at the same time, I'm so grateful that, you know, if we're still living under those circumstances where, you know, we do have those kind of um, issues, I feel grateful that we have the this kind of movement and uh, platforms like this Creating Synergy podcast that allow us to talk about it and to have a voice um, to talk about it and somehow influence people uh, in a positive way. Break the bias. I mean, I suppose we hold biases across so many different aspects of our life. Unconscious bias, you know, it plays into, you know, so many decisions that we make and interactions that we have um yeah you know I I was reflecting on this prior to this discussion and I I think I've been blessed in a lot of ways you know the the I feel that the bias has operated in both directions for me you know I think my um my gender is worth worked both to my advantage and my disadvantage at different points in my life. So, you know, I think we can have negative and positive bias. In the theme um, on the website, it says, you know, imagine a gender equal world, a, a world free of bias, stereotypes and discrimination. It's just, you know, just to think about that kind of world that um, we could live in I think that would be amazing I don't think we do live in that world yet I mean just the fact that we're having to have this hashtag break the bias it says to us that you know there's still bias there um I'm just interested in your experiences so in the world in the world of work or beyond that um have you ever felt that you've been judged because of your gender absolutely uh so probably there's been you know unfortunately there's been quite a few moments through my career so um, being you know a woman in her 40s now I feel like I'm able to uh, show up and set that boundary around uh, how I wish to be treated and respected in all facets of my life not only in the workplace um, but you know I've had things happen where I worked as a, a young female in a business and it was a male-dominated industry and um, the director of the business you know all the girls knew he was very handsy and so Friday night drinks you would be um, you know in the in the work kitchen and he would um, you know grab you on the bum or you know stroke you on the arm or it was a very uh, very uncomfortable position to be in as a young female in a workplace and unfortunately that has happened quite a few you know, quite a few times within different workplaces where, uh, you know, if I've worn a skirt um, to work, I had a, an experience where um, I no longer wanted to wear a skirt to particular board meetings because um, there were board middle-aged men, you know, looking me up and down and uh, kind of not taking me seriously enough. So looking at what I what I looked like and how I presented um, and I'm quite unapologetic unapologetic in the way that I do turn up um but I did feel quite uncomfortable about wearing skirts so I actually stopped wearing skirts um every time I knew that I would be in that particular situation so um yeah so they're probably two of the big standout things for me so more around um not being taken seriously as a a female and uh and then you've got you know your pay pay differences I've worked in jobs where I've not been paid equally for the same job as as men and not known um, until I've left the business that um, I wasn't getting paid an equal pay for the same work that we were doing so yeah there's been quite a few things but now I'm very much about uh, 
you know, being quite clear around my expectations of, of my value and my worth as a human rather than, you know, a female or a male um, within a workplace. I thought that I'd really like to talk about crying. So that's the one thing that I still feel like women bring up a lot when they talk about their experiences in the workplace. And it came up, you know, in a leadership training that we were doing the other day, um, you know, and and I reflected on um, when I was younger in some of these very male-dominated environments, if I um, cried, it's, you know, the discomfort was just almost unbearable. Not my discomfort. <laughs> well, actually mine, but also theirs, right? And so I started to view that as um, as one, a character flaw, you know, just in me generally. And I, you know, I started to identify as a crier. Um, and two, I also saw that that was a bias against my gender because women cried, you know, men don't cry, women cry. And so I spent a long, long time trying to come up with strategies to stop crying, right? You know, like, you know, don't, you know, when I'd get into meetings and I'd feel emotional and I'd feel those tears coming. And, and then if I did cry, gosh, I was so apologetic, you know, like, and, and, and I think, I think over time, I, one, got stronger. So there was no doubt about that. I got more confident in my capabilities and I got stronger. But what I also learned was that crying is just a form of stress release. So if I'm crying, I'm not weak. I'm not incapable. I'm stressed. <laughs> I'm stressed. And and that, and that's not a, a, a feminine thing. That's a human thing. We get stressed and we need to complete that stress cycle. And the way that I complete my stress cycle is by crying. And oddly, when I started to accept that that's, that's how I released stress and I created a bit of space for that to happen and I, I almost had like a little script where I would say, I could, because you can feel it, you can feel it, you're going to cry. I'm going to cry now. Please don't, please don't be uncomfortable. It's got nothing to do with you. This is how I'm letting out some of my tension. And I'd create the space for it and then we'd get back to the conversation or whatever we needed to do next and it was much, much easier. And then over time, <laughs> what happened was because I was less stressed about crying, I cried less because I was less stressed. The bias for me came from, though, realizing this really critical thing. So I'm a mum of three little boys. And I kid you not, they cry. And this is not like some well thought out study that I've done. I, you know, have just observed, but they cry as much as any little girl, right? So crying when you're stressed is a human thing, not a girl thing or a woman thing. And I do feel like that's still a place of bias in our workplace. And and it is not it's not my fault that or or, or I shouldn't apologize for the fact that men have not been given permission to use that as a stress release. I think early on um, working in work health and safety, yes, not so much from my direct environment because, of course, you were my manager at the time um, and I worked in a really great team, so I certainly didn't feel it in that environment, but across the industry, it was certainly at that point still a very male-dominated industry and very traditional safety focused. Um, probably started out in safety around 2010, and since then I think we've been seen a big sh- um, shift towards more safety culture, leader-led, more of the behavioural side of things, um, and kind of really looking at the customer interface when it comes to safety. So I feel like early on it was a bit of a, a boys' club, and being a, a female, especially a young female coming in, um, I, I feel like often my voice wasn't heard, um, and it was really over time and experience that it was heard. In fact, I remember one meeting I was in a safety committee and I had a very senior manager pull me aside afterwards and said, look, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I need to ask you this question because what came out of your mouth and what I think just don't line up. He goes, what came out of your mouth was coming from someone who was very experienced, but you look very young, so it doesn't actually match. When, in fact, I was a lot older than that manager thought I was. 
But instantly when you walk in, being a female and being being younger and being very baby-faced, it was people, unfortunately, judge a book by its cover. Um, so I, I certainly experienced it, one, um, in that male-dominated environment at that time. And probably more recently over the years, I did mention quite deliberately earlier um, that I am actually a, a spinal patient. Um, and, and that really gave me some insights into what it's like to have a, a disability and how kind of people look at you or sometimes dismiss you or, or speak to you as well. So that's really opened up my eyes over kind of the last seven years or so since I've, I've been through that as well, which I think is a good thing because I think often it's um, probably some of life's toughest times that teach you the most. Um, and I think in those times you can sit on it and dwell on it and, and use it as a victim or you can take that and learn from it and grow from it and you actually get, I think, the biggest growth from moments like those. Oh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I've had... Um... Uh, uh, there's one one event that springs to mind, but I actually um, just even looking at the interview recruitment process uh, initially, I did have one example where I went for a, an interview and three or four times I was asked if I had children. Um, and my answer was, is it a prerequisite for the role? Because that would determine my answer. Um, and I, I had to go back for two or three interviews thereafter with the managing director. Um, and he kept calling them at five o'clock in the evening, thinking, well, he'll work it out. The ironic thing was that was for a human resource director role. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so that, I ended up at, by the point I got to the end of that. I was just like, I don't want this job anyway. So I yeah, um, pulled him up on it and actually ended up getting the job because I pulled him up on it. Um, but but that, that's just the recruitment piece. But one, one example that came to mind as well was that um, I went into a really high-level boardroom. And that's where I've probably had the biggest struggles because lower levels, it's never been a problem. But a lot of the um, senior executive C-suite roles you're, you're in with, you're the only woman in the room. And I had one company where the president had come over and was seeing all of the senior execs um, and board members of this company. I won't name them because they are a large company and everyone would know them. Um, and the president walked in and saw me and came to me and asked me to get him a cup of tea. So off I went because obviously I was part of the catering team. Um, so I went and made him a cup of tea. Now, I don't drink tea with milk in and he wanted milk. So by the time I'd poured this milk in, I looked at this tea and thought, oh, that doesn't look great. But I thought, well, do you know what? I'm still going to give him it. So I gave him this cup of tea and he was sat down at the table and I promptly sat next to him, of which his face was an absolute picture, looking at me like, why should I be there at that table? Um, so I guess I've, I've always pushed the boundaries a bit anyway, naturally, because that's just who I am. Um, but I know there would have been other people who probably wouldn't have taken that and they may have gone and sat at the other end of the table. But I'm, I'm a bit bolder and I went, do you know what? You're not going to treat me like that. But I think I'd have done that whether it was a woman or a man personally. Um, and by the end of that session, he was actually telling his um, my, my counterpart at the global role, he was actually telling him that he could learn a lot of information from me and should work very closely with me. So it paid off, um, but I had to push myself very much in front of this guy's face um, by sitting next to him. I've worked um, sort of nationally and globally. So I've experienced very different responses in different countries as well over the years. So there are some countries, and whether it's just their ethos to work generally that is very different. So uh, countries like Belgium, I didn't feel any of that pressure um, to sort of have to show why I was in the room, um, which was really good. Now, they have a very different work ethic just generally around your, your work, the employment life cycle. Um, so maybe we, we should be learning from other countries as well. Funny thing is that uh, you only, I think, stop to realize everything that you've gone through after you're a bit more, as, as you're more mature and you can actually analyze everything that's happened. So I feel like when I was younger, I, I, I didn't realize how much that would influence me. Um, and I feel like um, when I stopped to think about my journey, one of the things that stuck to me and 
it's it's very it's different a bit I think because um I worked in really big companies and really big corporates ever since I I was 18 and in the finance industry as well which is very much male oriented um and they were very powerful and they and their voices were always much heard uh and I I always looked really young as well. Um, so I think one of the things I always felt is that I couldn't really always be myself because I was already looking very young. Um, I couldn't be silly or, you know, like or I was either too girly or it would seem like I was immature. And I was always trying to be as um, serious and as a professional, let's say, uh, to be um, imitating how these men were and to be able to have the same power and the same um, voice that they would have so I could be heard. Um, and and that, is, um, that is something that, that really um, actually comes to me up until now, even though I continue to be silly and I continue to try to be uh, as as much as myself as I am. Uh, but in the back of my mind, I'm still like, oh, is that too girly? Is that too, was that immature? Should I have said that? Which is horrible because anyone should be just how they are. And we shouldn't just rethink that because you're this way or that way or because you're a woman, you don't have enough strength in your voice. Um, so one thing that also... I um, remember that touched me quite a bit is that there were conversations about um, hiring women and they would always think and consider, oh, but, you know, this person is this age and should probably be wanting to be a mother soon. And they would stop and think back, oh, you know, that will be a problem because we'll need this person for this project and how is she going to be, you know, what if, what if she gets pregnant? And honestly, I started to think like that as well. I started to think like them. Uh, I started to judge other women because I was like, well, that makes sense. If they are at this age, they might want to have kids. And then when they have kids, that's going to be a problem for the company. So I have to keep that in mind. So uh, that's that's so sad to hear and to actually hear myself saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's really common. I think that's a really important thing to to talk about in this in this discussion because the reality is is that all of us have internalized misogyny, right? Because that's the system in which we have been brought up. So it's not surprising to hear that if you're constantly fed a story then you start to believe that story. Uh, I remember my dad being quite upset that I was playing soccer. So he, he, he doesn't, yeah, he didn't want me to, to play soccer at the time because, you know, it was too rough for a girl to play soccer. And I, I remember being like quite upset, like, I don't want to be a girl then, like, I don't, I didn't ask to come to this world as a girl, you know, I just want to play with my friends. So I still remember this, this feeling of, I just want to play some sports with my, my friends, you know, it's cool. I want to participate. I want to be part of it. And so that was my first, I, that's my first memory when I think about it. And then a few years later, I remember my set, my, my dad being upset because my both my brothers, they didn't want to play soccer at all. And he was like, how come you don't want to play soccer? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's my first memory when I think about it. Yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but then, you know, many other memories uh, about um, having to... Uh, overthink about which clothes I would wear for the day to go to work so I would be more you know respected uh, or I would be or people wouldn't mess with me on the street even because back in Brazil I used to take the public transport to go to work 
And then if it was like a very hot day, I, I couldn't wear like a dress or a skirt because I was too concerned about, you know, people, people messing with me on the pu- public transport or on the streets, you know. So there was something that I had to, to think about it or, you know, feeling like invisible in a meeting room where majority were like um, male and feeling that I, I didn't have like a voice there. I was there just, just because, I, but feeling completely invisible. Or, you know, even coming um, to Australia, when I came to Australia, uh, and I get that people get curious about, you know, they hear my accent and they want to know where I'm from, which is completely okay. But then the first question that they ask is, you know, uh, are you here alone? Are you are you here by yourself? Uh, and then when I answer that, no, I'm, I'm married, they would ask, are you married with an Australian? Because they, they wouldn't accept the fact that like a Latin uh, female, a young um, you know, female would be in Australia alone. It wasn't like to be married with Australian, you know. So it's kind of, and I hear this question coming like from males only. That's interesting, isn't it? So they assume that you've followed a love to come here. Little do they know that you dragged your love along to come here. <laughs> yeah. I find that really interesting and I think the conversation that you brought up about, um, you know, obsessing about what we wear because one of the things that women are always teased about is that we take so long to get dressed. You know, that's one of the things that you get that, oh, my goodness, you're still in your wardrobe, blah, 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 blah. And I think people don't recognise or realise that that doesn't just come from vanity, that comes from a feeling of needing to feel safe because we've not felt safe in our own society and we need to think about is our clothing going to keep us safe or put us into a risky position. Now, men don't think about that at all. That's the privilege of being a man. They never think about that. So they have that ability to tease women about it. And and don't get me wrong, I mean, some women really love clothing and it's just about an expression and, and whatnot. But a lot of us were brought up by society, by the media, to be very, very critical about what we put on our bodies so that it kept us safe. I have certainly had personal experiences of um, discrimination, as I said before, you know, both the positive and the negative forms of discrimination based around gender. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I've heard said before, which I think is absolutely true, when there are the same number or, or equal proportions of mediocre women in leadership roles as there are mediocre men in leadership roles, then we've achieved (laughs) equality, which I think is a really good way of looking at it. My fear around the way that the, the... the agenda is progressing, the feminist agenda is progressing, is that women are holding men up as the bar to become, as as, as the measure, as that's we want to become equal to men. And and so I feel that, the, that things are progressing towards this sort of masculinising and that, you know, to feel valued we have to be as good as a bloke Whereas I think, you know, the last few years I've absolutely highlighted living in COVID how valuable the feminine is in society. You know, what's the importance of, you know, the, the, the childcare workers, the, 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 the nurses, the, the stay-at-home mums, the, you know, all, all these roles that have typically been considered as feminine, you know, and, and the caring, the the nurturing, you know, those things are fundamental to society. This holding men up as the the the, the, the standard that we should be measuring ourselves against is, is 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 only seeing half of the picture. That we deserve every bit of you know equal representation, voice at the table. You know, I love the expression "women hold up half the sky." You know, like you know. We absolutely have to be at the table, but we don't have to 
masculinize in order to do that. I'm really interested in your work. You're with uh, Transcend Australia. So, you know, we want to be as inclusive as possible and bring different voices into this because when we talk about International Women's Day, we can't just get lost in the cisgender heterosexual woman and forget about the the variety of different people that we have within the span of gender. So I'm just interested in your perspective from that as well. Look, being a feminist um, who has been very passionate uh, ensuring that uh, particularly women in sport, women in leadership, uh, women in uh, whatever they do have a voice, are heard, are represented, um, ensuring that perspective um, is always come through. And even as a history teacher, I was always ensuring that that the social well-being of, of women and what they brought to to a lot of, of, of what has occurred for our history has been captured. So I guess my lens has changed a little bit and gender is not binary. It's non-binary. And I think that as a concept is something that many of us um, have started having conversations about, but not totally understanding it. Um, we have more than one gender. Gender is very diverse. Um, it's very fluid. And I think the more that we understand that we don't simply have two genders, I think the better we are at accepting all of us. And then we won't need to specifically draw on what men need, what women need. It's what people need, what we all need. Um, and we all need it um, at different levels and different amounts. Um, so it's not the same. So it's that real focus of the individual and look at the individual need. But we know that gender has and continues to dictate, I guess, how we should behave, how we look, um, what we should say, um, and we really need to be calling those things out, hence the bias that we have. Can we call those things out? So, yeah, the work that I do with Transend Australia is trying to, um, I guess, break down some of those stereotypes and the, gen the gender stereotypes we have because we have a lot of young people who identify um, as non-binary or gender fluid, gender diverse, where they don't fit in our traditional male or female box. So when we talk about International Women's Day, we are talking about all women. We're talking about trans women. Trans women are women and they identify as women and that's uh, celebrating them as well. But also being mindful that as we um, continue with this very important day and acknowledging women, because we've still got we've got some <laughs> way to go with, with getting the equal playing field here with in a lot of areas, but equally the principles that I apply to us having um, an equal say and us being heard and, and so forth. It equally applies to the more broader uh, LGBT community and the, the transgender and gender diverse community as well. So to me, the principles are the same and it's not to have this division between cis women and transgender women. I'm interested in the, the alignment between, you know, because I mean, we're talking about International Women's Day, but it really what we need to be focused on is inclusion and diversity and making sure that we bring people into um into our worlds and into our organizations and lived experience. I'm curious about your experience working for a couple of very American companies earlier on in your career and working out of that sort of space because obviously the, you know, the media is very clear that um, particularly racism and the race divide is quite significant in, uh, in the USA. And I was just interested if, you know, what they did particularly to to help iron some of that stuff out or even just bring it to light. Diversity was always something that they focused on because we had 70 to 75 different nationalities working together at any given time. So it was quite a unique environment. Um, but it was also an environment where we really embraced different people's backgrounds. So we spent a lot of time learning about our like, different cultures and, and celebrating um, kind of different important dates for, for kind of uh, different countries and those types of things on, on board. Um, so I kind of feel like I was really blessed to actually, I guess, almost kind of say grow up in that environment because for me I was 21 when I started working for those companies um, and, and worked for them like through to kind of my mid to late 20s. Um, so for me, I always say that it's the kind of time that I learn the most in a bit. And I always go back to and actually still to this day bring that experience and, and the, the skills and that knowledge into the environment. So um, for me, I, I probably didn't see, because um, I was working in kind of the maritime industry, so for, for me I was offshore, so I probably didn't see kind of perhaps what um, people in mainland America experience. 
Um, I was working in a very unique environment with a lot of different nationalities kind of working together where it was fully embraced. Um, having said that, you still, I think, had some bias there. So you had particularly working behind the scenes and what would be the, the equivalent of the blue-collar blue kind of job, job role, so the, the guys who'd be in the, in the overalls, um, were typically from certain kind of countries, um, so like the Philippines and India, where um, education, uh, where they may not have had the same level of access, sorry, they may not, not have had the same level of access to education that we have. Um, so at the time, I think opening up career pathways for them um, in, in that environment wasn't great. Um, however, speaking to people who are still kind of working in that industry over the last, kind of last 15 years, they've come a long way and have been able to kind of create pathways for all these different nationalities. And in fact, COVID was a really big learning point because where we grow up learning um, you know, how to budget and, and the basics of life, a lot of nationalities don't. So then all of a sudden there's a shift in learning development focuses um, on, on board like with those particular environments. Um, and that was kind of able to help them not only in, in working life, but like kind of back in the home lives when we're kind of seeing that tradition, that transition more from kind of work to home and a much bigger crossover than we've traditionally had between those two environments. Um, so yeah. But I have having a lot of um, like friends having worked um, in the US environment for so long. Certainly, they do talk about the bias, particularly um, being female. So pay is a big one for them that comes up quite often um, in the US maternity leave. Um, so a good example of this is one of my very good friends uh, had a C-section and was only entitled to six weeks um, of maternity leave, and then had to come back into a very physical job role versus had she been in Canada where she was born, she would have been entitled to 12 months. Um, so, and, and in certain industries there, it's still, um, I guess, a, a preference to take male candidates over, over female. So I do still hear them talking about that quite a bit. But luckily for me, it wasn't something that I experienced. Everything that uh, we, we experience through our lives definitely bring us to where we are now. I am interested just to finalize our, our chat here. If you've got one thought or idea or suggestion or a piece of advice for leaders or businesses so they can genuinely become more inclusive. To try and put themselves in the shoes of the other person and see how it would make them feel if, for instance, they weren't accepted uh, for a promotion because they were uh, a pregnant female and seen as perhaps not 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 a long term prospect because she's likely to need some you know some flexible working arrangements or uh, thinking about how how would it feel if you were a uh, a female to walk into a boardroom full of men and feel so self-conscious about what you're wearing and not taken seriously um even though what you what you know you're contributing is is excellent so i think it's for me about trying to have that understanding and i know you can't walk in another pair person's pair of shoes but you can try and understand um, their perspective and have some empathy around how perhaps they might be experiencing things within the world and and the workplace um, from and it, and it goes it goes both ways but you know particularly when it comes to creating more more equality in workplaces for sure yeah absolutely I think one of the things you know just give a shout out to Dan because he is a um, uh, an advocate for uh, gender diversity and one thing that he does all the time, and I, I really appreciate, he asks, you know, what is that experience like for you? Because I don't know. It, it's very different for me, you know, being a, a white, middle-class, you know, educated man. It's like my experience is very different. What's like, what, it, what is it like for you? And I love that. And I think that's something that a lot more people, not just men, but a lot more people could actually do in the workplace as well. Well, it's like the work when you, you know, you tell people to, to be curious around around particular things. It's about being curious as to how that other person might feel if they're treated in a particular way or if they um, don't have access to particular things and it may be an unconscious bias. It might be something they're not aware of it, but it's about asking, you know, how can I help? How can I understand that better? What does that feel like for you? What have you experienced? How can we 
create something that fixes and supports you um, to thrive in in the workplace. And I and I love that. Yeah, Dan's amazing with that. I think it comes back to um, that sort of statement I made about respect respect for humanity. You know, so. Um, I think inclusivity comes from truly valuing the, the perspectives and the experiences of other people. Sometimes we have a tendency, um, you know, to to seek out views that do validate our own experiences and our own thoughts because it's deeply uncomfortable to have them challenged. But I think that, you know, for us to be in a space where we have genuine respect for you know, that sort of the differences in gender, the differences in, in experiences and the differences in backgrounds, that all of all of the different things that people bring to our workplaces, it has to come from a true desire to want to to want to hear, want to share and use the information that we gather from those experiences. Um, and 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 that yeah that to me is is you know fundamentally comes down to that piece around respect for it, you know, really revere it. It's so valuable. I think people talk about correct English and language and where we know some language is very much uh, a feminine and masculine in the way that um, um, we talk uh, but that is changing also in a lot of cultures that, that don't have that um, but also cultures that are um, obviously I know the Japanese culture have been looking at, at that as well but I guess what we forget is that the use of they them has been part of English language for a very long time. We gendified it um, in, in English language um, so I think it, it's not it shouldn't be seen as well that's not proper English or grammatically correct it actually is and you can using people's names simply um, and not using a, a pronoun of a he or she to define people is, is is a good habit to start getting into. And using words such as, you know, chair. We don't need chairwoman, chair man. We don't need, when we talk about ladies and gentlemen, we talk about the people that of the audience. I welcome you all here. Let's use some language that is more inclusive of all people because you don't know who's in the audience. Yes, if you're dealing with an audience that you know and have are men and you know they're all men, fine. I mean, we're not talking about ignore our gender language, but I think we need to be very conscious that the media in particular, um, often I'm listening on the radio, I'm going, why can't you just say everyone? Why do you have to say ladies and gentlemen? So to me, it's it's how do we actually be more inclusive in when we talk about people? Um, and I think it's, it's trying to get, and women have been fighting this gender lens for a long time in the sense of, Yes, we, I'm not a chairman, I'm just a chair. And then we go, oh, let's put chairwoman. And it's like, oh, goodness, you know, like we're just adding an extra layer of complexity to, to the gender, um, you know, discussion. So let's just get away from that and have more gender-neutral language. And I think you'll find everyone, just like we've got, you know, we're getting away from specifying in the toy, toy aisle, male toys or girl toys and boy toys. I mean, they're just toys. So, again, getting away from that gendered language that puts people in boxes. And myself, you're always on a different um, uh, gender spectrum. Today I might be feeling more feminine and I want to dress up, put makeup on. Other days I want to get in the garden and I want to do this. Even those things we talk about are more masculine and feminine traits that we do. They're just traits that we do. And that is actually clicking into our feminine and masculine side. We, we have that psychologically, physically, um, psychologically, um, or behavioral, it, and it, and we're always on a different spectrum with it. So that's normality. Um, so therefore you can't say what's a man, man, and what's a woman, woman. We're bits of everything in regards to what make, what we're made up for. Yeah, I love that. I love that because language is so powerful. It comes back to the self-awareness piece. It really does. You know, be honest with yourself about your own bias. Give yourself time to really reflect and if you haven't recently done any training on that conscious unconscious bias stuff go and do it I think Microsoft have even got free course uh, video courses online that you can uh, and I don't know whether you're going to put any show notes up there um, Michelle but maybe we can put a link uh, for people to just be able to click through and do you know work on yourself for 20 minutes and give yourself the good grace to learn something or to refresh yourself around um, those unconscious biases that creep up so that you can 
be more self-aware so that you can interrupt those moments, those thoughts that creep in that you have practiced and rehearsed your whole life and that the people that you've lived with through your life that have influenced you have reinforced in you as well. And for you to just double check yourself and say, yeah, but is that true? You know, is it a fact? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is that a bias? I think maybe that is the is the fourth thing. So I'd absolutely encourage everybody to do that. And don't be cranky at yourself because you're not going to get it right all the time. We're all going to fall off. But, you know, just keep on trying because I think that's all anybody ever expects. And as a woman, that's all I would ever expect from anybody. I know that we don't have parity here of pay or, or gender equality here. And I know that there are also so many other issues that influence that. If you keep on trying, I'll have you back. Yeah, for me, I think one of the, the big things is we don't know what we don't know. So for me, diversity and inclusion should be one of the core competencies for our people leaders. Um, so for me, it would be making sure that they do those educational pieces and, and our leaders actually know how to create a diverse and inclusive workplace because um, it really kind of needs to be driven from the top. So that kind of education and awareness piece um, and I think often when it comes to diversity and inclusion, people don't actually realise what they're doing or, or perhaps um, they're excluding like, the diversity or, or the inclusion components. And a good example of that was when I was learning to walk again and was on walking crutches, I couldn't go up or down steps. And I, and I had a particular leader who kind of kept forgetting about that and would often book meetings in, in locations where I couldn't actually get to it, so it automatically excludes you. Um, but it, at the same time, it actually really opened up my eyes to being more mindful of, of things like that. So all of a sudden there was this whole world that I was kind of exposed to that I probably hadn't considered myself as much. Um, and it wasn't something that that manager at the time was doing intentionally, far from it, but just didn't think about it. Because genuine is the piece that I think is really missing. We've got lots of companies um, saying that they're going to meet certain quotas for how many females to male ratios. And, you know, whilst you go, well, that, that's promising, that's great. What worries me is we'll start accepting people into roles who actually don't have the skills to do the job. And at some point there'll be a safety issue or a, something will happen that will break that. And that's because they've played it's lip service. It's not genuine. So seeing how they can actually sort of really push that through. And I think it's more about looking at that root cause rather than going, we're going to say that it has to be this across the board. 50-50, some companies are going, that's a hell of a commitment. You're setting yourselves up to fail, guys. And actually, not I, as a woman, I wouldn't be asking for that. I want to work with people who have the skills to do the job first and foremost, because that's where I learn, that's where my work connects with them really well. If they're male or female, to me, that doesn't bother so much. So I think some of it is them going back to saying, okay, what is the root cause? Why are we having to put that ratio in? Um, how can we do this differently? So I just think companies have reacted. This will tick that box. And they haven't actually gone, what is the reason that exists in our business? And you know, we, we work um, heavily with companies where we unpack things. I don't think companies, small, medium or large, unpack what the reason is to why that's happening and why it is in their industry sector. And I reckon sometimes it's because, um, you know, if you're a large corporation and you have engineers, we don't encourage female engineers. I mean, it's getting better. So the root cause to me is actually looking at the skills to bring those people through. Genuinely supporting supporting one of the other other expressions that that it was it's actually a Hillary Clinton expression from a speech that she gave many years ago is women's rights are human rights and so when you start looking at you know things like parenting leave carers leave you know supporting um parents around school working hours. I mean, the school working hours and our working lives just really don't mesh together very well, you know. Um, COVID has been fantastic in terms of our ability to work from home, so allowing people to balance those two um, often competing aspects of their life. So I think, you know, if you start thinking about, you know, human rights and treating people with dignity and and understanding that they have a whole life of which work is one part, 
you know, again, I think that supports both genders to participate equally in the workplace. Because, you know, why shouldn't fathers be taking their kids to school? Why shouldn't be fathers be taking work days off to um, if their children are sick or working from home if their children are sick, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, and I think when we can get to the point where we position those things as human rights, workers' rights, um, that, yeah, that, that will support greater inclusivity. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you because it just brings to mind as well that, you know, people in same-sex couples that are adopting children, you know, why shouldn't they have the same rights as someone who is physically giving birth to a child? So we need to be thinking about all of those things and really challenging ourselves of have we tried to be inclusive but actually been inclusive to only a small amount of people? You know, we've included men in a paternity, but it's basically saying you're a man that's in a um, a couple with a woman and she has just had a child. So you're included. But everybody else, pretty much, you got to fight for it. Thank you once again for joining us here at Creating Synergy. It's been great spending this time with you. Please jump on to the Synergy IQ Facebook and LinkedIn page where the discussion continues after the show. Join our mailing list so you'll know what's happening next at synergyiq.com.au. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you really enjoyed it, please share it with your friends.